I invite you to open your Bibles to Paul's second letter to his young pastor, Timothy. Second Timothy, we're going to look at just two verses, but we'll read a couple of verses before those. Second Timothy three, we'll begin reading at verse 14 and read through verse 17. And our focus is going to be verses 16 and 17. Second Timothy three, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. It's probably no shock to those who know me that I love books. I suppose that's a good thing for a minister to say that. Uh, books, uh, it, it's like Christmas for, for me whenever I order a book and it arrives. The package is here. I get to open it. I get to see the new book that I ordered and I get to read it. Uh, I've always had that hunger. Uh, to read books. Uh, I must confess, however, that my, the kind of books I read is quite limited. I don't read novels, uh, not because they're bad or in, in and of themselves, I just don't have time. Uh, I focus my reading mostly on books that will help me grow as a Christian and books that will help me understand God's word better so that I can uh, bring out my uh, ministry that the God has given me for uh, my life. Well, there's all kinds of books out there, of course. Uh, and whether you use hard copies or whether you have shifted over now to focusing on reading things electronically, uh, doesn't matter. It's a wonderful thing to be able to read. And Christians will be, of course, judicious and careful as to what they read. Uh, they do not want to just assume that something's on the printed page makes it so. Uh, it's not necessarily good for us as Christians to read some of the things that are out there, of course. But of course, uh, some books have lasted longer than others. Uh, I could say that some books have a short shelf life no pun really intended there. Well, maybe it was. Other books, though, earn classic status. Uh, they've lasted for centuries, uh, even millennia, because of uh, their lasting value. And books that last a long time tend to be books that are worth looking into. Well, some books are more helpful than others, of course, but there is one book one book that outshines them all, 
that outlasts them all, and yes, that outsells them all. And that book, of course, is the Bible. The word Bible means book. And we have in our hands, and what a blessing it is that we do, we have in our hands the Word of God. And I want us to think a little bit about that this morning. Just for many of you, this will just be sort of a review and a re-emphasis on things that we already hold to very dearly. And we are in a distinct minority in uh, not only the world, but in organized churches that hold to the view of Scripture that we hold to. And the fact that we do that doesn't make us uh, oddballs. This is the classic historic conviction and belief as to what the Bible is all about. Indeed, the Bible is the most important book in the world. The most important book of all the things that you and I will read, nothing will be more important than the Bible. Now, why do we say that? Some people who don't believe what we do about the Bible say, oh, you worship Bible, the Bible, we worship Jesus. That is a false dichotomy. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the Jesus of the Bible. Scripture itself, Jesus himself tells us that the scriptures testify of him. Throughout the word of God, it always points in one way or another to the cross that we just sang about and to the Savior who died for our sins. Let's ponder giving serious consideration as to why we believe that the Bible is the most important book in the world. <clears throat> and it could be that some of you are not convinced of that yet. All of us have had to become convinced of that at some point in our lives, or we need to. So let's ask three questions here that uh, we can find the answers to in our text, verses 16 and 17. First of all, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Well, Paul tells the answer, uh, tells us the answer by referring to two terms in this passage that we've read today that tell us something about the Bible. First of all, he mentions the scriptures. He mentions in verse 16, all scripture, whatever he's going to say about scripture, he's wanting us to understand I'm describing for you, Timothy, the nature of one book and one book only, and that is the scripture. Earlier in this passage, we read also in verse 15, another term for it. It's, it's referring essentially to the same thing. But if you look at verse 15, he says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Of course, in Paul's day in the first century, as it, for Timothy as well, all they had as faithful Jews who had become Christians was the Old Testament. And that's what he's referring to with this earlier term in verse 15, when he talks about uh, the uh, nature of the Bible and he talks about uh, the writings, the sacred writings. Those were the words of the, the prophets in the Old Testament that constitute the 
books of the Old Covenant or Old Testament. And so scripture, when he uses the word scripture, it's, it's a broader term. It means all that we have at this point of the word of God, which was not a whole lot more yet in the first century. It became complete by the end of the first century, but Paul is writing in probably around 65 uh, AD. And the apostle John is the oldest of uh, the uh, writers of scripture. And he died more than likely in the last decade of the first century. Now, those are the terms that he uses. And so he's referring to a very specific um, book and specific individual books that make up the scripture. And ultimately, of course, for you and for me, that became the 66 books of the Bible. We call that the canon or the approved list of the books of the Bible. Uh, early on in the first few centuries of the Christian church, the leaders of the church determined which book should constitute the scripture. And what they did was they examined those books and any other possible candidates for being included in the Bible. And the, the, all, all the candidates were eliminated eventually until they whittled it down to these 66 books, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament. And what they did is they didn't declare these books to be the approved books. They recognized that these books bore the marks of being written by the apostles and prophets under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible itself proves itself to be unique, to, to be a cut above, if you will, uh, all other supposed uh, religious writings and, and historical accounts and all of that. Now that's a very important thing because we can be challenged and it's not a bad thing to be challenged. Why do you only believe these books that make up your Bible to be from God? Because these books have the, the marks of authenticity. I want you to <clears throat> do something. I want you to take your hymnal and turn in the back to page 848. No, we're not going to read a psalm responsively. 848, where the confession of faith is. And I want to show you how the confession does what, uh, says what I'm just talking about. If you look on page 848, and down at the very bottom of the, of the uh, page, there's a Roman numeral 5. That's section five of the first chapter of the Confession of Faith. And as it should be, in my humble opinion, the first chapter in our Confession of Faith is about the Bible. We'll see why in a minute. The Bible, what's the nature of the Bible? How do we know it's from God? Well, look at section five and I'm going to read it. You'll notice it's, it's a long section. It, it's just about one sentence, a couple of sentences. But every little phrase here is important. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures. And then it gives us the, the evidence from within the Bible itself that makes us realize, hey, this is really the special word of God. The sentence begins, and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, 
the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts. That means it all agrees. The scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. The full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation. The many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. When you break that down, uh, phrase by phrase, I think it gives you a wonderful list <clears throat> of reasons that we have to have confidence in the Bible and to, to know that this is a book set apart from all other books, even great books that are out there. <clears throat> None compares to the Bible. The Bible is the only book. Listen carefully. This is simple but true. The Bible is the only book that comes from God. If you want to know what God has to say to you, read your Bible. It is his revelation of truth to the world. Or we could put it this way. It is God's love letter to the world. Let me give you an illustration. <clears throat> Suppose you had 10 friends that you asked how they would handle a certain major decision that you were having to make. You went to these 10 friends, how would you do this? How would you deal with this? You also consulted one other person, your father, because you had a good relationship with your father and you believe that he would be a good person to consult. And so you have these 11 people and you ask them, how would you handle this uh, big decision I've got to make? And you get 11 responses. Of those 11, which one would you probably give most, the most weight to? I think most of us would probably say our father. And why would we do that? We would do it because of his authority or his place as our father. We would do it because we trust what our father would say to us because he loves us. Those are three things that the other friends, good as their advice might be, don't have. Not like that. Now, just compare that to our Heavenly Father and the relationship as, that Christians have through the blood of Christ, that He is our Father in Heaven. We just prayed that a while ago when we said the Lord's Prayer. He is our Father in Heaven. He is the ultimate authority. He is one that we can trust in implicitly, totally. And He is one who loves us loves us with an everlasting love. So the takeaway of this in what is the Bible, we see the, the content of it, we see the good reasons for it, and we can be certain that the Bible is the unique and reliable source of truth because it comes not from man, 
It comes from God. The Bible clearly says this about itself. And the church <clears throat> has confirmed the books that make up the Bible. But there is more to assure us that the scriptures are God's revelation of truth to the world even beyond this. And that leads us to point number two. What good is the Bible? Verse 16 began, as we saw, by saying <clears throat> all scripture. That's all we've talked about so far. All scripture. Okay, what is scripture? All right, we've talked about that. Now he tells us something about the nature of, of the scriptures. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. In some of our translations, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God or something along those lines. The word actually uh, in the original that Paul wrote is God breathed. Now, <clears throat> when you and I breathe, we breathe in and we breathe out. This is referring to God breathing out because it has to do with God speaking. What happens with your breath when you speak? If you put your hand in front of your face, you can feel the air coming out of your mouth because you are breathing out as you speak. And the air that comes out, you manipulate with your vocal cords as you learn to do from a child to say mama and all the important words of, of uh, life. Probably mama's the, the only one that's really that important. Mama's might think that. Dada and on down the line. And oh, one of the early words they learn is no. Isn't that true? We never had to teach them that. Well, we, we understand that when, when we pick up our Bibles, by the way, how many of you have your Bible with you? Hold it up. I'd like to just see a show. Or a phone, if you've got it in your phone. Good, good, good. I'm glad to see that. Uh, it's always wonderful to have your own Bible in front of you as we look in, into the Word of God. So, when God, is, when God gave us his word, it was the result of him speaking these words to the prophets and to the apostles. And this wonderful process took place where God moved in the minds and hearts of Isaiah and Mark and Peter and John and all the writers of scripture to write down the very words, the very words that God told them to write. The original copies of the scriptures that they wrote down is no longer with us. And so we have to make a distinction here. Our copies, our, our translations are not 100% purely perfect because we don't have the originals but we have enough copies of the originals to where we can reconstruct, scholars can reconstruct a very accurate translation. Some translations are more accurate than others, as I'm sure you know. And we use the English Standard Version because it is uh, widespreadly, in a widespread way used by evangelical churches today, but more importantly, it's a very accurate one. It, again, there are places where the translators aren't exactly sure if it's this or this, you know, when they're trying to translate. But God has seen to it in his providence that we're going to have confidence 
that our translations that we use are sufficiently accurate that we do not have to worry about that. They certainly are accurate completely in all the things that pertain to salvation. Some of the other details, sometimes we're not exactly sure what was meant, but we, we go by the, the best manuscripts we have. Now, with all of that said, <clears throat> breathed out by God. That's better than talking about inspiration because most people think that the purpose of reading the Bible is for me to get inspired. That God inspired the authors of Scripture. And they just felt so moved that they just decided to write down what they wrote down. That's a little, uh, that's a little misleading. It's better to say breathed out because accuracy is so important. Uh, I, I came across this wonderful example of this uh, from a, a, an old sermon from uh, Dr. Ligon Duncan. He, he told the story about uh, Dr. Donald Carson, a fine evangelical scholar, uh, very, very good. Uh, and he was lecturing somewhere and there was a liberal scholar in the audience. And the liberal scholar talked to him afterwards and said, uh, you, you believe that every word of the Bible is, is uh, inspired by God and breathed out by God and we have to take that at face value, like the miracles. Liberal scholars basically don't believe that miracles happen. They don't believe in the, the supernatural work of God, which means they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in the penal substitute, substitutionary atonement of Christ, you know, major, major things. And so she commented on that and he said, uh, Carson responded by saying, okay, uh, let me repeat what you just said. And two or three times he repeated what she said and he purposefully said, uh, added a word or changed a word when he did it. And she said, that's not what I said. And he said, yes, lady, that's right. And that's the difference between how you look at the Bible and how I look at the Bible. I don't want to, to read somebody's version of what the Bible says or what an, an individual thinks that the Bible is saying. I want to hear the exact words that the writers of Scripture wrote down and provided us because this deals with very important stuff. And so when we think of, of the different views of the Bible today that water down uh, the, the nature of Scripture, the, unique, the uniqueness of it, and the accuracy of it, and the authority of it. This is what we've got to remember. We don't want to end up saying, you know, my view of what this passage says is not what God said. We want to be able to say with the prophets, thus saith the Lord. And that's one reason after the Scripture is read for sermons every Sunday, your response to the minister saying, this is the word of the Lord, your response is, thanks be to God. And we should be thankful. And that means the Bible is so special to us because of that. Now, this waffling and diluting of the nature of Scripture today, it's been going on for a long time. In our day, it's it's about a 200-year-old process of liberal theologians uh, imparting these weaker views of the nature of the Bible, and they filtered down 
from the scholars to the seminaries to the students of the seminaries who became ministers who in turn from the pulpit preached uh, a a Bible that can't be totally relied upon and it's up to our views of what we think it means. That's why some of the big issues today, like the homosexual agenda, the nature of uh, and purpose of men versus women, uh, so many major issues are at play today is because people are taking the Bible to mean other things than it says. And we just need to go, we need to be simple-minded about this in a sense. We need to say, but what does the Bible say? Not what everybody else is saying, not what's popular today, not what's trendy. What does the Bible itself say? We're going to stake our eternal futures on that and not be persuaded otherwise. Okay, if that's true, Paul goes on to say in Verse 16, that the Bible, because it's breathed out for, by God, is profitable. It's profitable. It's beneficial. It's good for you. It will bless you. And in what way will it do that? He says four ways there. It's profitable for doctrine. That simply means teaching. It teaches us the truth. It teaches us what we need to know and understand and apply in our lives. It's profitable for reproof. That's where the Bible shows you, oh, you've gotten off track. You're sinning by not doing this or by doing that. And we have to be rebuked by that, by the word of God. Sometimes God uses loving Christian brothers and sisters to rebuke us as they point out to us where we have erred. And we should humbly accept that and thank them for that. And then once we get off track, what's next? Correction. The Bible not only tells us what we're doing wrong, the Bible tells us what to do that's right. It tells us how to get back on track once we've gotten off track in our Christian living. And then the last one, training in righteousness. That's discipleship. That's getting into godly habits of prayer and using the, uh, the means of grace, prayer and the word of God and worship, the discipline of the church, the sacraments. So we get into these uh, proper habits of, of disciplining our lives according to the word of God. Now, isn't that what each of us needs? Doctrine, we need the truth. Reprove. We need to see where we're not being pleasing to God. Correction. We need to see how we can change that uh, uh, part of our uh, unfaithfulness to the Lord and, and become faithful in that area. And training. We need to stay on track in honoring God in our lives. That's what we need. And no authority source will benefit you like the Bible because it comes from the mouth of God. You can accept some other sources of truth and authority for your life if you want to try that. <clears throat> you realize that everybody has, an, has a supreme authority in their lives. Many times it's unconscious on the part of people. They just go with the flow. They just go with what their friends are doing, the way they talk the habits they have, the priorities in their lives. 
They don't stop and think about, about what is the best way for me to determine how I should, what I should believe and how I should live. And we need to be humble and open to investigating that. But this <clears throat> is not the way so many people are living today. For many people, their source of authority is themselves and how they conduct themselves, how they make decisions. You can try, as I said, you can try to go by other sources of authority. Maybe it's, it's uh, one of the books of the cults, the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's a source of authority, uh, and there are others. Uh, you can uh, adopt one of the Eastern religions and worship gods of uh, their making and practices. You can try, but pre be prepared, if you do, to be disappointed. Last question. What is the purpose of the Bible? Of course, as the confession says, it's to glorify God. We'll, we'll take that uh, for granted in a sense, in a good way. But verse 17 says, all this scripture is doing these things, doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that, verse 17, that, that means in order that, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man of God, that's, that's really Paul's way of saying that the purpose of the scriptures is the same for everybody. When he says the man of God, he more narrowly is talking about Timothy because that's who he was writing to. But more broadly, it really refers to anybody who is following Jesus Christ as a disciple, who has realized their sin and their need for a savior that they can't, when they die, they have to stand before a holy and just God who made them and to whom they are responsible for how they live. They're not going to be able to do that in their own, uh, by their own efforts. They have to do it by turning from their sin and putting their trust completely in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross and through his wonderful, powerful resurrection. The man of God the Bible will make the believer, says verse 17, complete, complete. That means, uh, some translations say adequate. Well, that's okay, but sometimes we use that word adequate in a less than stellar way. It's like, well, you're not doing a great job, but it's adequate. Can you imagine God saying, look, I just want you to get by as a Christian, okay? You know, just read your Bible once in a while, pray when you think about it, go to church when you can, and that's, that's okay, that's good enough. No. Be holy as I am holy, says God. Run the race of the Christian life with perseverance, says Paul. Fight the good fight of faith. Work out your salvation. The Bible tells us over and over, we are responsible for our growth and, and, and uh, maturity in Christ. And so here he's saying, if you want to be adequate, if you want to be a complete Christian, if you want to be one who's healthy and growing and fruitful for the Lord, 
then the Bible will make you that way. And he describes that just a bit more at the end of verse 17, equipped for every good work. You will be equipped. You will be given all the tools you need to have a life that is filled with good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. And how are we going to do good works? Those things that are pleasing to God and beneficial to others. How are we going to do that? By learning and applying and living by the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. Three ends, I end. Inspired, infallible, inerrant. Our God is, our Bible is, is given by inspiration of God. It's, it's given to us so that we can totally trust it. And it's given to know that it will not fail us. Equipped for every good work. The Spirit, here's the beautiful thing about all this. I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up and tie it together. The same Holy Spirit that inspired or took the breathed out words of God that they received, they wrote them down to be our Bible, and that same Holy Spirit in our time, in our lives, in our experience, as we take the Bible and read it and study it, that Holy Spirit will work God's sanctifying grace in us by teaching us the Word, causing us to, to tremble at the Word in a sense, Oh, this book knows me better than I know me. And it will help us apply it and live by it. Our secular, postmodern, post-Christian world scoffs at the Bible as we have it. And they scoff at those who believe the Bible. People may have made fun of you because you take the Bible seriously. Liberal denominations long ago started doing that, as I mentioned earlier, and they're still doing it. And interestingly enough, liberal denominations, probably every single one of them that I'm aware of, uh, is, a, is leaking members. They're losing members. Now, that's not the only criteria we go by. You ever heard of the term Scottish revival? That means we lost a bunch of folks and we're better for it. <laughs> um, I, you know, got to be careful about that. But, but liberal denominations don't have any, anything to feed the, the flock by because it's, it's like the trumpet, Paul says, is sounding an uncertain sound. So we, we have to consider that. Whereas many churches that believe the Bible are healthy and growing, and they will be as long as they take God's word seriously. Maybe the most important thing of all, and this is what it all is pointing to, is that those who don't believe the Bible to be the inspired, inerrant word of God, infallible word of God, they don't focus ultimately on the gospel. The whole purpose of the Bible, you know, is to glorify God, and it does so by glorifying the cross, which seems so opposed to what would make sense to us. 
the suffering and death of someone who is condemned by a court, by a judge, to be a sinner worthy of death. When he was the only human being that ever was sinless. He did that in our place to pay for our sins. You will not hear that gospel in so many churches today. We want to be a part of the faithful church and we're not patting ourselves on the back. It's all by the grace of God that we understand and, and believe these things. But I wanna, I wanna finish with two, these two challenges to you. Challenge number one is if you have never taken the Bible seriously, if you've never considered seriously the Christian message that real life is only found in Jesus Christ, as the Bible teaches, I want to challenge you by asking what better source of truth are you operating under today and how is that working for you? The challenge for you is do not reject what you might have failed to seriously investigate first. You see, the first thing we need to learn in our lives is where's, what is my ultimate authority? Not what, think about what is it right now compared to what it should be. It's the Bible. That's our source of authority. That's where God speaks to us. And that will tell us that we're sinners in need of a savior. So don't reject outright what you think you know about Christianity and the gospel and the Bible if you haven't already seriously read the Bible and considered what the gospel message is and then go from there. The Bible can stand up to any question or challenge or inquiry that you have for it. Challenge number two, if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you want to grow in your faith, to be strong in your faith, to grow in your love for God and for others, there is no way that that will happen apart from your becoming a student, a real student of the Holy Scriptures. You can't and you won't get anywhere unless you read the Bible that you say you believe. Read it and study it. Learn it. Use it. Use the wonderful tools that we have today to help us understand the Bible. Sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Grow, learn, be a student of Jesus. This may sound almost heretical, but I'll tell you, when the Word of God is being faithfully preached from this pulpit, there is a real sense in which it is Jesus Christ who is preaching and speaking to you. Not, of course, in a literal physical sense. Jesus is in heaven, bodily in heaven. But the Spirit of Christ has called those to preach and teach the Word of God so that you will spiritually grow and learn. Does that mean that every word that comes out of the preacher's mouth is going to be infallibly true? No, of course not. But you can 
search the scriptures like the Bereans did and see if what the, the preacher is saying is so. And if it's not, talk to your elders, talk to the preacher. And maybe you can be, something can be clarified either for you or for the preacher. Use every means you can, dear friend, to know the word of God. It is God speaking to you. And it is the most important book in the world. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did not leave us in the dark to figure out things on our own. Who are we? What condition are we in morally and spiritually? What do we need? How can we be guided? How can we deal with our guilt? How can we glorify you? How can we love you and others? Lord, you've provided that for us in these 66 sub books found in the book, the most important book in the world. May it be the most important book in our lives and may we show it by seeking out Jesus and learning to love and serve him more and more through his word. We pray this in his name. Amen.